I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. You may have noticed that since the 200th episode, I've been taking a little break from conducting interviews and instead have been posting lectures from various events. Today's episode is a talk given by Charlotte Rogers at the conference Rewriting the Future, 100 Years of Esoteric Modernism and Psychoanalysis, held in Murano, Italy in 2019. Her talk is called Spiritual Evolution for the Masses or for the Few. Charlotte Rogers is an author, artist, and animist. Her books include The Sky is a Gateway, Not a Ceiling, P for Prostitution, and The Bloody Sacrifice. Her art incorporates remnants of death and discarded objects and has been exhibited widely, including shows in New York and London. Join Charlotte and I this Sunday at Morbid Anatomy Museum online at 2 o'clock New York City time, which is 7 p.m. UK and 8 p.m. in Europe. For the Atavistic Network, listening to the voices of the dead and discarded, and necromancy, working with blood and adopted ancestors in art and magic. You can register at morbidanatomy.org events. Also in the works, Carl Abrahamson and I are organizing our third Psychoanalysis Art in the Occult Conference to be held in Copenhagen this October, October 14th to 16th. The conference is Visionary Medium, Psychoanalysis and the Magic of Cinema. If you are interested in presenting at or attending this conference, send me an email at vs at drvanessasinclair.net or sinclairvanessa at gmail. If you're sending in a submission, please send it in before July 25th as we're going to be reviewing submissions and deciding on presenters the week of July 25th. Rendering Unconscious is also a book, Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry, available from Tapar Books, 2019. For more, visit our publisher's website, tapar.net, that's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. Thank you so much to all our Patreon community. Your support is so greatly appreciated. And now Charlotte Rogers presenting Spiritual Evolution for the Masses or for the Few. Thank you. Um, First, I'd like to thank Vanessa and Carl for organising this gathering, which I view as both um, groundbreaking and necessary, 
the last psychoanalysis after the occult event I attended. Can everyone hear? Yeah, a bit louder? Okay, was a harbinger for me of huge change as well as a marvellous and sometimes disconcerting string of synchronicities and coincidences. Um, I came home from the last event, which was in London. Um, my whole road was closed off because of a gas leak, so we were all evacuated. The next day I went to work. Work was closed off because the largest ever found unexploded Second World War II bomb was discovered just above my place of work. And then when I had a bit of a reunion with Vanessa in New York to speak at the Museum of Morbid Anatomy, an area I was in also had a bomb discovered. Luckily, no one was hurt, but boom. Anyway, <laughs> it's, it's ideas, isn't it? Um, anyway, uh, I felt my attendance there made me part of a hive of sorts, and on it I have no intention of letting go of, so I made some serious efforts to get here. Um, these are strange times, and being a bit of a history buff as well as an artist who makes use of various patterning and camouflage techniques, and of course being an animist and magician, I can become a tad obsessed by patterns of behaviour that occur and reoccur in human event timelines. I feel that an open-minded, non-judgmental dialogue is really important for progress, but to an extent, honest dialogue in cyberspheres can be curtailed by censorship and inflammatory reaction, which prevents open and progressive discussion. Um, Haken Bay recanted his initial excitement about internet connectivity in the light of the realisation the internet could actually prove to become a way of editing and controlling information and expression. So this actual event is a point of stimulus that I feel has the capacity to sort out the uh, king rat-like mass of entwined rodent tails, which I feel spirituality, magic and creative thinking could be perceived as presently being knotted into. So we begin. Unfortunate title, but spiritual evolution, for the masses or for the few. Much as we perhaps would like to deny or ignore it, the behaviour of human beings as a mass tends to operate within repetitive patterns and loops. Um, just as the history of humanity can be seen to, be, to work within re recurring cycles of behaviour, the practice of the esoteric over the centuries is very much dictated to by the way in which man operates in context of these patterns, either as a passive observer um, and acceptor of the status quo or as an initiator of change. The magician is a being who relates to the world of other and changes their mundane actions in recognition of this relationship. Observing the, the workings of the earthly realm and relating them to our emotional and intellectual selves is part of our personal survival. Um, and relating these things once again to our spiritual practice is a necessity of deeper progression. Only those who are spiritually ill or who are part of a race doomed to extinction do not allow themselves to see the interaction of the worlds within and the worlds without. Both the human survival instinct and their innate desire to strive and progress dictates that spirituality looks outwards. I'm, I'm not talking about syncretism here, though of course it is relevant. I'm talking about progress on an evolutionary level. Now, historically, this is not the first time to have such enormous global turmoil and scientific and technological advancement. However, I would say that the closest past parallel to this era would be the late 19th to early 20th century. 
then the exponential progress in rational thought was counterbalanced, as human beings naturally and instinctively do, with a surge forward in educated creative occultism and an interest in various types of alternative spiritual explorations. However, the climate of that particular era necessitated that various approaches towards magical spirituality were something that were very much kept silent. Partially, this was because magical and esoteric studies teach a silence as part of their basic tenets, but also because anything that steps outside the mainstream has always been considered a threat to the establishment, and when the masses turn, the weird, or weird with a Y, minority become the scapegoats. Homosexuals, pacifists, Bolsheviks, freaks, witches, to name just a few, have all been targeted throughout the ages, and especially so in the 20th century. Thus, keeping one's views to yourself is not just part of an arcane tradition, but also a method of survival. It is also worth bearing in mind that this necessary silence can heighten the glamour, creating an aura of being elite, elevated or superior in some way. So now, in the 21st century, all these rules of spiritual behaviour have changed, although the behaviour of humanity as a whole seemingly has not. The world is a crazed and crazy place, and once again technology and the rational plunges forward, and its time-old counterbalance, magic and paganism, is running strongly beside it. Two sides of the same coin whose shared goal is to be more than. What has also changed are the views about what constitutes a target, an outsider, and a scapegoat. There has, ostensibly anyway, been an upheaval in attitudes towards race, gender, and belief systems. The narrow-minded are now pilloried and targeted and brought to task with the same vigorous aggression than those who live on the fringes once were. This time round, with the aid of social networking, magic has gone mainstream. It is talked about loudly and proudly brandished as a banner of power and a way to bestow status. Fashion conglomerates use tarot as part of advertising campaigns. Television programs adopt figureheads of satanic groups within their shows, and Etsy stock supplies for every type of modern magical practice, with sales for tarot cards being the highest in 50 years and increasing all the time. Now, magic, of course, has always been about power. You know, on a base level, this power is over illness, enemies, financial impoverishment and love, and on a higher um, level, power over the elements in human nature. To the onlooker, this working with power, depending on the perspective, appears either amoral and horrifying or glamorous, mysterious, stimulating and enticing. Now, power is a huge draw card for all human beings, especially if one feels a lack of it. But it's also necessarily attractive to the corporate world, as power and money are the gods and the goals of these structures. So it's natural that magic holds an an attraction to many operators within business environs, even if it's due to its gloss and potential for spin rather than its actuality. Um, I've been a magical practitioner for a long time, Um, 40 years, I would say. and I've seen surges of popularity and magical expression and, magic, um, and practice many, many times, but never one that felt quite like the present magical revival, probably because previous movements hadn't the benefit of social networking to push things into the focus of the public's vision. I was talking about this earlier, what I'm just about to bring up. There is this term called the diffusion of innovation S-curve, 
where a trend can be pushed to become the norm by the power of influences. People with enough charisma and power to create changes in perception on a wide scale. Uh, William Gibson had this wonderful term, cool hunter, for people who hunt down influences that will work for them in the corporate world. I very recently did an article talking about the esoteric and magical um, as applied within contemporary fashion, and the research of this was fascinating when analysed using the lens of the diffusion of innovation curve. Now, of, of course, part of magic's appeal is it is replete with stimulating, evocative and very strong and inspirational imagery that lends itself beautifully to creative projects. But then most established and long-standing religions also have such imagery. However, unlike most standardised belief systems, magic has long been epitomised by the uber-cool and the iconic, people who generate waves that disturb the norm. Generally, these bright beings have remained on the fringes or have been so obscure a niche as an original reference point that although the effect of their stimulus is um, widely recognised, the esoteric source isn't. Um, icons such as Jack Parsons, Marjorie Cameron, William Burroughs, Anita Pallenberg, Jen P. Orridge, Austin Osenspare, Kenneth Anger, Crowley, all were or are very, very cool beings who acted as a radar and inspiration to others who wanted to emulate, imitate and learn. Now, although these people and their trappings hit the limelight many, many times, they faded again until the power of social networking provided the impetus for them to become mainstream and, in more recent trends, even adopted by corporations as prime advertising fodder. One example being the campaign using Kenneth Anger advertising for Gucci. <laughs> Have you seen it? It, uh, of course, it's Chateau Marmon. Um, yeah, it's at Chateau where John Belushi, etc., died. It's quite fabulous, but it is disconcerting. Yeah, um, okay, countercultural practices becoming the norm has been done many times before. Ask anyone uh, who used to keep their tattoos and piercings, things that were considered to be markings of their persona, place in society and life choices. We used to keep them hidden. And now every C-list star and their grandmother has tattoos, piercings, and a bit of BDSM gear in their closet. It's not, it's not a big thing. Now, one particular thing about this S-curve of innovation is its after-effect. When the point has reached a critical mass and the once obscure becomes accepted by the mainstream. As I said earlier, magic practice has assumed a fashionable status before, but just never to this extent. Many, such as myself, um, are watching the rise of this phenomena. Some are rather dryly. Others, you know, naturally trying to make a little bit of money, sell a few more books, gain some extra notoriety, while the esoteric star is high on the horizon. Most of them thinking, this too will pass. I see television series, movies, fashion shows, fitness witches and stage shows referencing the esoteric groove. And though, yeah, I do think it will fade somewhat, I believe it is possible this time round, that a magical practice will become an accepted approach. In many ways, perhaps this isn't a bad thing, and it could even be positive if it indicates a move away from established corporate religion. Although, of course, there is a possibility pagan spirituality and magical practice could itself become a corporate-run belief system. I also believe that as there is presently a huge rise in changes of attitude towards materialism, 
there will need to be a change in attitude towards magical iconography. Um, a detachment from object-orientated spirituality. This is my personal opinion. Seeing Austin Osmond's spares work, for instance, being used on a £3,000 handbag made me realise that proprietorial feelings one may have towards affiliated spiritual iconography is something that will need to be discarded in order to progress. The time for the material to represent the spiritual with accompanying territorial instincts um, needs to be made redundant. Otherwise, ideas of ownership come into the picture, and pagans will be protesting and picketing with Catholics outside movie theatres and Madonna concerts. Um, seriously, I did think really carefully about this one, and I've phrased it quite carefully, I hope. Uh, I create objects that have spirit or god forms embedded within them. And I also come from a country where colonialists stole many spiritually imbued objects. And in doing so, they also undermined the fabric of the Aboriginal existence. But whilst gods and spirits can be embedded into objects, they cannot be owned. They can be worked with, used to inspire and focus, but not owned. If we, as human beings, do align our spirituality so completely with an object then we treat them as human beings have always treated the material. We will see our gods die along with parts of ourselves. Um, to know, to will, to dare, to be silent could also be considered to be old hat and another outdated approach. Though there's no denying that there is a level of necessary silence implicit in practice. But of course there are many levels of practice in every belief system. And even long-established, widely accepted beliefs, such as Buddhism, for instance, have a higher level, relatively arcane, esoteric and very secret aspect, parts of which have blown my mind, actually, when I've come across people who are very, very high up Buddhists. Um, okay, one thing about this that is interesting isn't simply the ostensible growth of belief in pagan and magical theologies, but the huge amount of individuals striving to master and interpret various esoteric systems. Many cultures believe in magic, but often rely on a priest specific to their system. And what I see at the moment is the rise in individual rather than group empowerment um, via a magical approach. You know, of course, modern society, Western and increasingly Eastern, is all about the nuclear family, non-Confucian ideals, and um, a steadily growing cult of isolation with its banner-head bedroom dwellers creating a new type of neurosis specific to this era. Although, admittedly, there have always been outsider solitary magicians hidden away amongst books and dust, dusty rooms. It's a pretty archetypal image. Um, and though now there is a degree, admittedly, of, of connectivity of various isolationist magical alter egos online, and group workings do occur via this medium, such as, for instance, the Trump workings. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'm a solitary prick. Yeah, I'm a. Screaming at this Christian lady. I know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, it'd be good to talk about this because, you know, I'm a solitary practitioner who's been a member of various groups over the years. Um, and I'm a great believer in the power of groups to get things done magically. But I must admit, I haven't seen positive results to these global workings. And I, I wonder why. Is it because definitions of magic have become so fluid and murky, perhaps, and there's no clarity of working perimeters? because there are so many individual personas and no ability to properly join forces and channel power, or perhaps simply there's no real core knowledge of what magic is all about. 
Um, now, human beings are pack animals, and our natural instinct is to follow the herd. And in the instance of um, widely consumed media imagery, uh, the use of magical and pagan approaches and expensive glossy spin, it utilises the thought of only the few. Generally the few being those with very large amounts of money. But this approach is filtered down on a wide scale, and many of those who are buying into the process are doing it on a budget. Um, and rather than flag for, flying for a film franchise or a fashion house, um, it's being used as a, an individually loud expression of other, which I, th I think is intriguing, in that it's being obedient to online manipulations, but also subversive in the way that information is being practically interpreted. You know, esoteric studies, um, paganism, magical practice have always been fluid things, based on the land and the culture, the way we assimilate information. If you work with the spirits of the land and place, and the land changes, of course you must adapt. Uh, all of these approaches have cherry-picked techniques that worked for them from experience, observation, and often from other cultures. And with information becoming more accessible, the stimulus for change has snowballed. And I'm not really sure if a lot of practitioners have adapted on a deep level to this. Um, accepted concepts of gender, polarity and sexuality have changed immeasurably. The land and sea have changed. Our ancestors are still there, but the values they communicate may well not be applicable. Uh, computers are the new altars, and rituals that use golden toads will not work if the toad is extinct. However, every man, woman and being is still a star and still has a shining trajectory. Um, I believe that a grassroots... I believe a grassroots re-evaluation is necessary, starting with a definition of contemporary magical spirituality and contemporary magical practice. And that definition needs to acknowledge technology and trends and either integrate or separate themselves from it. If needs be, we can slam that definition to pieces once we've made it. But in every beginning there's a word, and that word needs to encapsulate. Um, magic is change, and magic is progression, and magic works. And whilst it may well be on the way to being mainstream at the moment, I'll tell you a secret. Magic may become a process believed in by many, and it, in many ways it would be a great thing if it was. But the practice of it isn't for everyone, and never will be. Because magic can also be painful, challenging, and dangerous. Under the glamour lies a process of insight and re-evaluation, dissembling and reassembling that few choose to undertake. Um, Israel Regardé said that anyone who's serious und about undertaking magical paths should also simultaneously undertake some form of psychotherapy. And though personally I must slam myself against the same brick wall quite a few times, slow learner, I'd tend to agree. What I do believe, though, is when the mass of humanity are as willing to perform chod as to buy an Austin Osmond spare emblazoned handbag, the world will be a better place. Um, I'm not denying the fun and self-empowerment of magical spirituality or advocating some very Christian process of emotional self-flagellation. I'm just saying simply that until people are willing to go deeper, the magical path will remain something that only a few will commit to. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a talk by Charlotte Rogers, given at the second Psychoanalysis Art and the Occult Conference held in Murano, Italy in 2019. Join Charlotte and I this Sunday, July 17th at Morbid Anatomy Online 
at 2 o'clock New York City time, which is 7 in the UK, and 8 p.m. here in Sweden. Charlotte will be presenting the Atavistic Network, listening to the voices of the dead and discarded. And I will be presenting Necromancy, working with blood and adopted ancestors in art and magic. To sign up, visit morbidanatomy.org events. You can also visit the website psychartcult.org. That's P-S-Y-C-H-A-R-T-C-U-L-T dot org. You can also find information there about our upcoming conference, Visionary Medium, Psychoanalysis, and the Magic of Cinema, to be held October 14th through 16th in Copenhagen this year, 2022. To send in a submission, please send it in before July 25th, as we will be going over submissions July 25th and choosing the final lineup of presenters. If you're interested in presenting or attending, send me an email at vs at drvanessasinclair.net or sinclairvanessa at gmail. And now the song, Follow My Voice, from the album, Follow My Voice, for Hatshepsut a collaboration I did with Per Olund. I chose this song because it contains some cut-ups cut from the writing of Charlotte Rogers. Enjoy. Every day that I was in Egypt, I saw the sun rise and set. Every single day. If I could travel anywhere, I would travel everywhere with you. One endless trip with occasional stops to assemble with the documentation. We make art of what we experience. And as what we experience is interpreted by us as art, we have come to inhabit a zone that is creatively ultra-conducive to new ideas and experiences. And then we make art of those too. Tell me a secret. Tell me a story, one of your life, because I want you to connect with me, to connect because I follow my voice, use your ears to see, your eyes to ingest, your hands to feel. I'm going to show you a few things, and I need you to really see them. Things aren't always what they seem here, so you have to be prepared. I am an animist, artist, and author 
who works with remnants of the dead and the discarded to create talismanic and totemic art like aspirin or something for the headache of life. Yes, there is a kind of humor here, which is not bad. It might even be the announcement of a period when humor would be introduced, when people would not be so serious and money would not be so important, and there would be time for leisure with you.